rock, paper, scissors. That was a total mess, Nottop said. We looked like shit out there. Outside the van, snow was falling, forcing the grouchy guitar player to turn on the wipers. It's fucking September, Dreads thought, twisting a trademark dreadlock in her finger. Every year this bullshit gets earlier and earlier. In the back seat, Weirdbeard was drumming on his knees with some sticks. He was always drumming on his goddamn knees. You would think that it would improve his timing, but it didn't. If it were up to Dreads, they'd be looking for a new drummer, but it wasn't up to her. This was not Top's band, at least it was at present, and he was not going to give his best friend the boot just because he didn't meet the chick bass player's exacting standards. But politics and the filthy habits were likely to change, especially since Dreads had become the focal point of the band. She was hot, she knew it, and it was only a matter of time before she leveraged that fact into getting her way. I thought we were pretty good, Weirdbeard said, still drumming. You always say that, shot back Dreads. Hey, don't get down on me for being positive. Dreads leaned back to meet eyes with the chrome-domed drummer. He smiled when she did, always with the same come-at-me-bitch look that was part antagonism, part attraction. I wonder if Joan Jett had to put up with this when she went solo, Dreads considered bitterly. Not fucking likely, was her conclusion. If their upcoming independently produced debut tanked, which in all likelihood it would, Dreads would definitely be putting effort into a solo career. She might even let Nottop have a crack at the lead guitar spot if he could stop making sappy eyes at her every time she chatted up a cute guy between sets. Dude, you need to watch your fills, she scolded Weirdbeard. At least twice during the show your transitions were totally off. The drumming stopped. My transitions are spot on. Maybe you need to worry less about sexing up your vocals and concentrate a little more on the bass. Her playing was fine, said Nottop to the rescue. Your fills were off. Bullshit, Weirdbeard muttered under the tangled scrub of his facial hair. Just hoping to get your dick wet. What was that? Nottop looked back to challenge him, taking his eyes off the rapidly snow-filling road. It was real nice that he felt the need to defend her honor, but Dreads was more concerned with getting back to the rehearsal space alive. He's just fucking with you, she cut in, hopefully diffusing the situation. Nottop glanced to her, then back to the road, and they finished out the journey in silence. When they arrived in the parking lot, there wasn't another vehicle in sight. The long utilitarian building that now housed Tactile Studios was a thriving textile mill at the turn of the 20th century, back when this remote and sad upstate town had a reason to exist. But business had dried up by the 1960s, leaving the monstrous structure abandoned until it was purchased for cheap a few years back during the housing crisis. The sellers expected that the new owner would tear the building down to make way for condos or something, but the buyer, Chaz, was an aging trust fund kid still nursing rock and roll dreams. He renovated the top floor into rehearsal rooms to bring in some money, and kept promising to put a state-of-the-art recording studio in the ground floor, a promise that had yet to materialize. 
Regardless, the monthly rates were reasonable and the filthy habits had no complaints about the quality of their practice environment. But just looking at that boarded-up ground level gave Dreads a weird chill, like an untraceable wind crawling up her back, and she wasn't the type to get easily spooked. It kept her moving fast, even on hot summer nights, and it was only when they had all the gear loaded into the freight elevator did she feel any sense of relief. A half an hour later and they were in the room, all the drums and amplifiers back in their respective places. Not Top started rolling a joint, and Dredd started feeling annoyed that he was stalling on giving her a ride home. Then she remembered there was no one waiting for her at home. Well, unless you counted a mother zonked out on prescription meds and vodka. The guitarist lit the joint, took a deep drag, and offered it to Dredd's even though Weirdbeard was holding out a greedy hand. What the hell? She took the joint. You know, Not Topped croaked through an exhaled cloud, if we spend a little extra time working our material, people might be into us for something other than our looks. Dreads took her hit and passed the joint to Beard. What's that supposed to mean? It means, Top continued, that so far we're pretty much seen as an image band. According to who? If Dreads was a porcupine, her quills would be bristling. One of those skanks you bone? Weird Beard laughed, choking out pot smoke. <laughs> Burn! Not Top ignored him. Whatever. I'm just cluing you into people's perception of us. The joint cycled back around to his fingers. Are you saying we couldn't benefit from a little extra practice? He had a point, and Dreads knew it. She wasn't the kind of girl to spend long hours honing her songs. She liked the spontaneity of keeping the arrangements loose but the truth was that their set wasn't getting any better, and her friends, when pressed, had all admitted that the band could be tighter. Fine, she conceded. We'll have longer practices. I'm down with that, Beard added, grasping again for the joint. You know, Top said, that snow is supposed to get worse the next few hours. If we wanted to, we could pull an all-nighter, and I bet the roads would be clear by morning. Are you serious? This sounded like the worst idea Dreads had ever heard. We just got done playing a show. I'm fucking beat. I want to go home. Yeah, Beard agreed. I'm kind of beat. Not Top smiled and pulled a baggie out of his pocket. There was no mystery as to its white, crystallized contents. I can fix that. Beard's eyes lit up and Dreads saw the rest of the night getting sucked right up her bandmates' noses. If she made a stink now, she'd never hear the end of it, so when it came time for her turn at the straw and mirror, she didn't resist. The truth was that she enjoyed the rush as much as either of them, and halfway through their first song, the band had really locked into a groove. She looked over at Top as he wailed out a lead, really digging the sound he was getting out of his old Telecaster. Maybe this wasn't such a bad idea after all. They were just rounding past the solo, playing the best version of Fingernails on a Chalkboard they had ever played in their lives, when another song somehow bulldozed right over the sound of their amplifiers. Top stopped playing with a blast of feedback. Fucking prog rock fucks, he shouted. Dreads hadn't heard the actual words, but she didn't require subtitles to get the gist. The band who rented the room next door was Delirium Tremens, a five-piece prog rock band that had recently been signed to a major label, despite their music being nothing that any radio programmer would ever consider commercial. 
They were partial to loud, droning jams that went on well into the wee hours of the morning, so the fact that they were drowning out the filthy habits at this late hour was not, in itself, a surprise. But it was odd that there had been no other cars in the lot, and no sounds in the hall to indicate the band arriving, or noises of instruments or amps warming up. There was just a blistering wall of sound seemingly sprung out of nowhere, as if piped in from some deafening, prog-rocky dimension. Hey, assholes! Top yelled into his mic. Can you turn it down just a tad? He was a real diplomat that night, Top. When his request was answered by an increase in volume, he went over to his amp and cranked it as loud as it could go. Dreads shrugged, looked at Beard, then went to her bass amp and did the same. They bashed into another song, bashing almost loud enough to drown the other band out, when everything suddenly went black. The amp sputtered out with a fizzling snort, and Beard's drumming stumbled to a halt. The stunned trio sat there in the dark as the elephant stampede in the next room continued without interruption. Beard said something, but the others couldn't hear him, so he stood up from behind his kid and hollered, "'We blew a fuse!' Sighing, Dreads pulled her lighter from her pocket and went around the room, lighting the candles that had been set about for the occasional atmosphere, i.e. playing while stoned. In the flickering light, their irritated faces made them look like angry phantoms emerging out of the dark. The music in the next room lowered to a merciful throb, but it was too little too late. The vibe had been killed. Someone's gotta go change the fuse, Top pointed out cheerlessly. Dreads felt that unwelcome chill creep up the back of her neck. The fuse box was on the ground floor. The procedure for switching out the fuses had been explained to them when they signed the rental agreement. It seemed a lousy thing to leave in the hands of musicians, but the room was so cheap no one complained. Now Dreads wished that she had. Going down into that mill, so dark and foreboding, was something she wouldn't have asked of her worst enemy. But like Not Top said, someone was going to have to do it. Any volunteers? Dreads asked. There were no takers. In times like these, there was only one fair and determining solution— a game of rock, paper, scissors. This tried-and-true technique had been used to settle numerous band disputes, including food runs, driving duties, the loading of gear, you name it. This gave Dreads hope as she had an uncanny knack for winning, and the glum looks on her bandmates' faces told her that they expected this game to play out in her favor like so many others. Dreads, however, was feeling an unusual lack of confidence. Something about this night had her twisted up all wrong, but she wasn't going to let the boys see it. We doing this or what? They dutifully gathered in a loose circle. Dreads nodded to Knot Top. We'll do first round. He returned the nod with the understanding that winner of this round would be out of the running and the loser would have to go on to challenge Beard for the unpleasant task. Both Dreads and Top held their fists to their chests and looked to Weird Beard to do the countdown. Ready? Beard asked. They were. Once, twice, three, shoot! Dreads looked down at her hand. She held her palm out flat, indicating paper. Her eyes moved to Knot Top's hand. Two fingers extended. Scissors. Scissors beat paper. Dreads' heart thrummed in her chest, syncopating with the pounding music next door. Even losing a single round was a rare occurrence for her, enough to give her an anxious jolt. Naturally, she called for two out of three. 
Top rolled his eyes, but accepted. Once. Twice. Three. Shoot! This time it was Dreads who put down scissors. But Top, anticipating the move, put down a closed fist. A rock. And rock beat scissors. Now this, this had never happened before. Dreads had never lost a game of rock-paper-scissors, at least not against these two. She considered playing the chick card, using the excuse that there could be some rapist down there waiting in the dark, but she didn't want to foster the notion that she was some scared, weak little girl. She wanted the boys to know that she was as tough as they were, so when the time came for her to take over as leader of the band, there would be no questioning it. If going down into a big spooky warehouse solidified that, so be it. But that didn't mean she was going to sign up for the job willingly. Turning to Weirdbeard, she readied for the next round, palms sweating inside her clenched fist. Top counted off, hands were thrown, and Dreads couldn't believe her eyes when she looked down to see that Beard had beaten her rock with his flat-palmed paper. Two out of three, she demanded again. Top counted off and the players threw down, both of them scissors this time. They went again. Beard retreated back to his paper strategy, but Dreads held her ground, besting him with her two-fingered scissors. Last round, Top announced, his low drawl pitched up by the suspense. Dreads looked into Beard's eyes, sussing him out, trying to hear the dim rhythms of his mind. He returned with nothing, just a dead, unreadable stare, and Dreads made a silent plea to the universe for luck. Please, she asked the infinite cosmos. Please don't make me go down into that place. There's something horrible there in the dark. I know it. Please, I'll be a good girl. Once, twice, three, shoot! It took a moment for Dreads to realize that she had shut her eyes, terrified to gaze upon the final verdict. But then Beard sighed in defeat, and she knew that her rock had beaten his scissors. She opened her eyes to the welcome sight of victory and a warm rush of relief. Fine, Beard said. I've been meaning to look around down there anyway. <laughs> yeah, right, Top scoffed, poking a hole in his bravado. Keep telling yourself that. Dude, you ever see Antiques Roadshow? There's some serious shit in places like this. The thought of Weird Beard watching Antiques Roadshow cracked Dreads and Not Top right up, but Weird Beard waved them off like a couple of fools. We'll see who's laughing when I score some crazy-ass sword brought over from Frankenstein's castle or some shit. Dude, all you're gonna find down there is some moldy yarn and a whole lot of rats, Top said dismissively. But by all means, have at it. After a moment's consideration, Beard opted to take his drumsticks along as weapons, just in case. As he headed out the door, Dreads advised, Watch out for Frankenstein. The ground floor was a nest of shadows, the only light being that of the moon peeking through the high-ceilinged windows. Several panes were broken due to punk-ass kids throwing rocks, but they were too high up for even the bravest vandal to attempt climbing in. Not that anyone in their right mind would want to. Beard took out his phone, turned on the flashlight app, and scanned the walls, looking for any sign of a light switch. He found one that looked at least 50 years old, 
and was surprised when after throwing it a few hanging lamps sputtered to life, polka-dotting the vast space with pools of sickly light. As predicted, the place was a scavenger's delight. Stacks upon stacks of antiquated textile equipment were piled all around, leaving little more than a hallway's width of space to maneuver at any given location. The closest comparative would be a junkyard, but instead of used cars, there were rusted looms and knitting machines to get lost among. As Beard walked along the hulking stacks, he marveled at the old-timey craftsmanship. There didn't seem to be a piece of equipment here that dated far past 1950. He was tempted to dig into the stacks and see what he could salvage, but the jagged, rust-coated tangles of metal promised scratches and cuts and the certainty of tetanus. A trip to the doctor was something Beard couldn't afford, so he tabled his trash-picker impulses and set his mind on locating the damn fuse box. He followed the snaking, archaic electrical system, finally finding the fuse box tucked behind a stack of old crates. The thing looked as though it hadn't been touched in decades. Chaz was apparently too lazy to set up a new electrical system. It took him a few minutes, but Beard figured out which fuse went to the filthy habit's room, and throwing the switch was satisfied that somewhere in the complex his bandmates were celebrating restored power. He could have just called or texted one of them to confirm, but Weird Beard just didn't operate that way. He was a man who did things first and worried about them later, if he worried at all. His eyes now fully adjusted to the dim light, Beard caught a glimpse of an open door that led to a small, cluttered room tucked off to the side. An imposing physique and a general attitude of recklessness gave Beard a cocksure edge, so wandering into the room was, for him, no great show of courage. But when he saw what stood there waiting for him, even his blind self-assurance was given a punch to the gut. The first thing Beard noticed about the man was his shoes— black, outdated, and fastened with big brass buckles that were polished to an impossible shine. His legs were long, freakishly so, and on his lanky frame he wore a tailored, pin-striped suit that was a garish shade of red, the sort of thing a carnival barker might wear. A stovepipe hat sat cocked on his head at a jaunty, gravity-defying angle, and the hair that was tucked under it was shellacked and sculpted into a perfect, immobile wave. But the most unsettling thing was the man's face. His eyes, ice blue, were staring over a needle-sharp nose, and his mouth was frozen in a perpetually mocking leer. His teeth were small and perfectly chiseled, set in a gleaming row under blood-red lips. They were so perfect and white, Beard figured they had to be false. No one had teeth that clean around here. Beard tensed, expecting the man to charge him, but then he recognized that this man was not a living human being but a tailor's mannequin, the largest he had ever seen. A wave of relief rushed over him and he laughed, feeling stupid for getting so spooked. He walked right up to the mannequin and stood there, looking up into the down-gazing face. The thing smiled back at him with pink plaster cheeks, painted to give the rosy illusion of life. "'What's up, dude?' Beard joked to the perpetually amused gentleman. Naturally, there was no response. Even up close, the mannequin's appearance was quite impeccable. His suit was so clean it could have come straight from the dry cleaners without a button missing, not a thread out of place. 
The only thing that seemed slightly incongruous was a yellowed piece of paper that was bobby-pinned to the suit's perfectly pressed lapels. There were words written on the paper in elegant script, as if drawn from the tip of a fountain pen. They were arranged in stanzas like a song or a poem, and Weird Beard had to squint and get closer to read what they said. Beard returned to the rehearsal room to find the lights back on, his mission a success. Hey, check it out, he announced, holding up the paper he had found on the strange mannequin. Dreads was grateful to have Beard back, as being alone with Nottop always gave the room a weird tension. He always seemed ready to make yet another pass at her. She tried to get a better look at the paper the drummer was holding, but he held it away from her, teasing. Beard seemed to think that he and Dreads had some sort of playful rapport, but in truth she just found him kind of annoying. She didn't know which appealed to her less, his shaky drumming or his obnoxious personality. Dreads looked to Top, who seemed irritated that Beard hadn't stayed gone longer. But he was willing to indulge the drummer, so he shrugged into a snaky riff. Even Dreads had to admit that for an off-the-cuff jam it was pretty cool, hypnotic and spooky. She joined in, playing off of his root notes with a melody of her own, and soon they had a nice little loop going. Beard bobbed his head along to the beat, digging the sound. After several measures, he held the paper in front of his face and recited into the mic, Nothing good can ever come of little boys who suck their thumbs. To clean them up from head to hands, we call upon the scissor man. For the tailor knows a parent's woes, and with his shears clips filthy toes. Before the grisly poem could be finished, the P.A. blasted ear-rupturing feedback, the smear of sound blotting out the rest of the words. Even the band next door seemed quieted by the bizarre incantation. The filthy habits looked at one another, all of them spooked, and then Beard broke out in a gale of amplified, nervous laughter. Nottop put down his guitar in a huff. Dude, what the fuck was that shit? Beard showed the guitarist the paper. I found it in the old mill. Freaky, huh? Irritated, Nottop snatched the paper, crumpled it up into a ball, and dropped it. This is just bullshit poetry some goth douchebag left lying around. Beard scowled at him and picked the paper back up, carefully uncrumpling it. Dude, not cool. This shit is seriously old. I found it pinned to this creepy-ass mannequin down there. Trust me, no goth kid would have the balls to go anywhere near that thing. What did it say? Dreads asked, strangely intrigued. Something about a scissor man? Beard gave the words a re-inspection at her request. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like if your kid is a dirty little shit, you can call him this tailor guy and he'll come take care of them with his scissors or something. His eyes glazed over a moment, lost in thought. Maybe that crazy-ass mannequin was supposed to be this tailor, come to think of it. Just the thought of some creepy mannequin lurking downstairs gave Dreads the willies, and she was reminded of the disturbing German fairy tales her grandmother read to her when she was a little girl. There was something about a tailor in one of those who chased unruly children around with a giant pair of scissors. It must have been where the asshole who wrote that nasty poem got the idea. Dreads never liked her grandmother very much. I'm gonna go have a smoke, she announced to the room. I'll go with you, Nottop offered. But he didn't smoke, so this was some dumb notion he had of being chivalrous. Or he just wanted to hit on her again. Either way, gross. No, I'll be fine, thanks. She grabbed her leather jacket, checked to make sure her cigs were in there, and headed out the door. 
Outside in the hall, Dred stopped to listen, hoping to hear the prog rock band talking or making any kind of noise in their room. It was silent as the grave. Those guys were weird, but their behavior tonight was off-putting even by their usual standards. They were into the whole bondage scene, so it was probably an S&M sex cult thing. Maybe they were standing around in a circle with ball gags in their mouths or some crazy shit. Whatever the case, she had no interest in seeing it, so she hurried down the hall towards the front of the building. The lobby was dark and deserted, not that Dreads expected anyone to be there. It was usually Chaz manning the front door as he wasn't big on hiring help, and more often than not he was content to just collect the rent checks, stay home with a six-pack, and let the tenants fend for themselves. And on a snowy night like this? Forget it. Chaz couldn't even be bothered to restock the ancient soda machine he picked up at a yard sale, let alone brave a blizzard for the sake of a lousy graveyard shift. Dreds took her keys and her cigarettes out of her purse and went for the doors, but when she pushed up against them, she was met with firm resistance. She tried again, and again, but still the doors would not budge. Strange, as Chaz typically left the push bar unlocked, not trusting the musicians to lock the doors behind them when they left. Taking a closer look at the bar, she saw that someone had jammed what appeared to be a knitting needle into the locking mechanism and bent it, creating a makeshift bolt. There was no opening the doors, not without the assistance of bolt cutters, and when Chaz saw this, he would be fit to be tied. He better not blame us for it, Dreds thought bitterly, giving the jammed bar a final angry shove. She considered having a smoke in the lobby despite the prominent no smoking sign, and then she remembered that the sprinkler system was new and Chaz had warned that it was particularly sensitive. One whiff of smoke and the entire building would be showered in water, destroying all of the tenants' expensive electrical gear, including her own. Certainly not worth the risk of lighting up. She sighed, stowed her cigarette pack, and set off to find an exit that was not so inexplicably secured. In the absence of their bass player, Beard and Nottop had attempted another jam, but without any low end, the session was shrill and unappealing. Top was noodling in some hard-to-follow time signature, and after a while Beard just gave up and finished the beer he had set on his floor tom. His already full bladder was aching in protest, so he excused himself from his disinterested bandmate and hurried to the nearest men's room before he sprung a leak. Rehearsal space bathrooms are notoriously grungy, and the ones at Tactile Studios were no exception. Despite being renovated only a few years ago, the single stall, adjacent urinal setup had already been coated with an impressive layer of grime, and the areas that weren't filthy were either covered up by graffiti or band stickers that had already begun to wear off. But Beard had certainly seen worse. The dingy, two-bedroom apartment he shared with five other dudes wasn't exactly the picture of cleanliness, for example. Stepping over a puddle of unidentifiable liquid, he went for the toilet stall but was distracted by his reflection in the marked-up mirror. Taking a quick detour, he checked his look in the mirror, and satisfied that his facial hair was having the desired wild-man effect, doubled back to the stall. The interior of the stall was somehow more disgusting than the outside, but it didn't stop Beard from dropping his pants and plopping his ample ass on the commode. Seated, like a girl, was his preferred pissing mode when he was alone and away from the judging eyes of others. It was relaxing, allowed him to think, and saved him the embarrassment of handling his unusually small penis. As his bladder emptied into the grimy bowl, 
Beard stared absently at the dull-witted graffiti scratched into the stall door, checking if anything had been added since the last time he sat here. Someone named Cheyenne was good for a rim job, apparently, and judging from her phone number, she was conveniently local. He was toying with the idea of calling her, just to be a wise-ass, of course, when someone entered the bathroom. All Beard could see through the narrow gap under the stall door was their shoes, but he immediately recognized them. They were those queer-ass Little Lord Fauntleroy numbers he saw earlier on that creepy mannequin downstairs. Some hipster must have found the thing after he did and made off with the shoes, thinking they were cool, like for irony's sake. Weird Beard couldn't stand hipsters, especially ironic ones, and once when Toppet accused his beard of making him a hipster, Beard had almost knocked the guitarist's teeth out. His facial hair was an extension of his soul, and the notion that he might have grown it to be ironic was enough to spin him into a rage. The shoes just stood there for several long seconds, facing in the direction of the stall, as if waiting for Beard to come out. When he didn't, they skipped along the scummy floor, clickety-clickety-clack, coming to stop at the yellowed porcelain sink. The faucet turned on with a rusty squeak, and the wearer of the shoes stood there splashing water into the bowl for what felt like a full minute. Wussbag, Beard thought as he bitterly finished his pissing. Probably one of those anal retentives, afraid to get germs on his soft, girly hands. Wanting to give this douchebag a good startle, Beard hopped to his feet, pulled up his pants, and pushed open the door with a slam. He expected to find some dude in skinny jeans and one of those waxed Salvador Dali mustaches plastered across his normally smug, now scared and stupefied face. What he didn't expect to find was the tailor. The mannequin was standing with its back turned, facing the sink, its pink plaster hands held under the running faucet. In the reflection of the mirror, Beard could see the thing's blank eyes staring at him, that ghastly frozen smile leering through the filth-streaked glass. Then, incredibly, one of the hands moved of its own accord and turned off the sink. What the fuck is this? Beard demanded. The drummer felt his knees begin to buckle, and he put a trembling hand against the stall to steady himself. If this was some kind of joke, it was seriously not funny. To the side of the sink was propped an item that it took Beard's startled brain a moment to identify. It appeared to be twin swords, sabers, that were bolted together at a pivot point where the hilts intersected. It soon became clear that they functioned as oversized scissors, a pair big enough to trim the nose hairs of a giant. Whatever their use, practical or otherwise, Beard did not wish to find out, so he stepped backwards towards the bathroom door. As soon as he did, the mannequin spun to face him. Shit! Beard shouted. Do not fuck with me, man! I am not playing! The tailor wasn't playing either. Or maybe he was. With that smile of his, it was hard to tell. In a lightning-fast movement, he snatched up the scissors and held them outstretched like an elongated pair of head shears. Beard took another step back, but the tailor matched him, giving the scissors a playful snippety-snap. It was the sound of two razor-keen knives scraping together, and it gave Beard a rush of fear that crawled from his scrotum to his throat. Dude, I will seriously fuck your shit up! The tailor didn't seem worried. He kept right on smiling. Fuck you, asswipe, Weird Beard concluded. He turned to the door. 
and the tailor thrust out, skewering him through both lungs. The drummer tried to scream, but all that came out was a slow, deflating gasp, like air escaping from a twice-popped balloon. The tailor rammed the scissors into the bathroom's cheap wooden door, shish-kebobbing his victim, a butterfly pinned to a display board. As Beard hung there, standing on tippy-toes, the tailor pulled something shiny and sharp from his pocket. It was another pair of scissors, but these were normal-sized, the kind used to trim fabric. As his life faded, Weird Beard heard the soft sound of snipping and felt his proudly cultivated facial hair fall away with the last of his consciousness. He hoped that in rock and roll heaven he might grow it back. There were two side exits in the complex, and Dreads had been to both of them. Like the front doors, she found them locked, apparently from the outside, and she dimly recalled Chaz saying something about keeping them secured after hours. So unless there was some other way out that she didn't know about, the band was trapped in the building until Chaz swung by in the morning to open up. The whole thing was totally inconvenient and undoubtedly a fire hazard, but Dreads was more alarmed about having to hold out for a cigarette than anything else. She rounded the corner that led to the Filthy Habit's room and was passing by the doors that led to the men's bathroom when something caught her eye. Something sharp was jutting through the wood of the door. It appeared to be the pointed tip of a large blade, and as dreads drew closer she could swear that it was stained with blood. Despite instinct warning against it, she stopped to take a better look, and as soon as she did the blade withdrew with the squeak of strained wood. Having seen enough, she was already hustling back to the room when the doors opened and two impossibly long legs stepped out. Dreads naturally assumed that she was looking at some exceptionally tall and oddly dressed musician, one with a thing for stovepipe hats and freaking out girls with his grinning creep face. But when the figure stepped towards her, it moved in a way that seemed entirely unnatural, as if it was a giant marionette brought to life by invisible strings. It was holding what appeared to be oversized scissors and was wiping the blades clean with an old-fashioned, frilly handkerchief. It didn't take a forensic scientist to identify the liquid as blood. A body fell out of the bathroom door behind the nightmarish dandy, hitting the hallway floor with a dull thud. Dead eyes stared back at her, set into a face that it took her a moment to identify. Without his trademark beard, her drummer was nearly unrecognizable. Blind instinct kicked in and dreads turned and ran. Less than five seconds later, she was back inside the rehearsal room, slamming the door behind her, face white with shock. Nottop stood with his guitar slung at his waist, looking befuddled and a little annoyed. Jeez, where's the fire? Mindful that those blades might soon be stabbing through the door, dreads stepped quickly away from it. There's somebody out there! Some crazy motherfucker with a giant pair of scissors. What the fuck are you talking about? Before she could explain in more detail, the loud music started up again in the other room. Somehow it was even crazier and more deafening than before. Like a coven trying to raise the devil by the sheer power of their instruments. Hell, maybe that's exactly what they had done. Not Top let his guitar hang to the side and went to see what was behind the door, but Dreads pulled him away. 
Are you fucking stupid? She shouted. I just told you. Before she could finish, a single blade stabbed through the narrow gap between the door and the frame and started worming its way around the deadbolt. That freakish thing outside was trying to jimmy the door loose, like a burglar breaking in with a crowbar. Dreads pulled Top with her into the center of the room, and they both looked on with fascinated horror as the blade jabbed and pried against the doorframe. The music next door built to a thrum that shook the room, and it gave Dreads an idea born of desperation. She picked up her bass by the neck, and Top stood by slack-jawed as she slammed the instrument's body into the wall like a sledgehammer. "'What was that supposed to prove?' Top shouted. Dreads paid him no heed and swung again. "'Thwack! Thwack! Thwack!' She battered the knock-off Mustang against the sound-insulated wall, hoping that the cheap building material would give before the neck of her base did. A large dent began to form and a chunk of insulation fell, revealing the shoddy plaster wall underneath. A few more well-placed hits and she might make it through the bare wall, so she swung again as hard as she could. Crack! The neck snapped and the contoured, red-sparkle body of the base fell to the floor, still tethered to the tuning pegs by heavy-gauge strings. Dreads felt a pang of loss for the instrument, but true mourning would have to wait until she escaped with her life. Unfortunately, the Mustang's sacrifice had been in vain as her blow had failed to break through the wall. Fuck it, she heard Top say behind her. He rushed past her, slamming his telecaster into the dent she had started. Dreads was blown away that he would sacrifice his beloved guitar, but when she glanced back at the door, she knew why. The scissor blades were picking away at the wood around the bolt, and soon the whole mechanism would pop right out of its housing. Top was a wiry guy, but those arms had some muscle, and his swing did enough damage to put a crack in the wall. A few more blows and they could see the light from the other room. There was a splintering sound as the blades cracked the door, and it was only a matter of moments before the hideous mannequin would be inside, scissors ready to cut. Top dropped his battered guitar and went to the hole, pulling chunks of plaster from around the edges. Dreads joined in, and soon there was a hole big enough for an average-sized rocker to climb through. The room beyond was pulsing with alternating hues of blue, red, and yellow, someone's idea of a mood enhancer, no doubt. Under the circumstances, the psychedelia was an added layer of unwelcome insanity, but it was inarguably preferable to whatever was making Swiss cheese out of the rehearsal room door. Ladies first, Top said, more urgent than chivalrous. He didn't have to ask twice. Dread stepped through the hole, and no sooner had her Doc Martin planted down when she heard the splintering of wood and panicked arms pushed her the rest of the way. Her foot caught in a tangle of instrument cables and she stumbled, hair falling in front of her face as she wobbled. When she righted herself and pushed back the dreadlocked curtain, what she saw of that room made her want to laugh, scream, and puke all at once. Delirium tremens were present and accounted for, at least their bodies were. They stood with or behind their instruments, the perfect wax museum simulacrum of a performing rock band. There was Butch the drummer, ready to pound at the skins, Lenny on keys, fingers frozen mid-arpeggio. Even Dax, oh God, that name, was in his usual place at the microphone, double-necked Gibson SG riding high on his waist. Bass, lead guitar, newly added second synth player, they were all posed at their stations, looking ready to showcase for a manager or major label rep. 
The only hitch was that despite the music pumping out of the speakers, the musicians themselves were frozen in place, stiff as statues. The music hit a chord change, the Delirium Tremens version of a middle eight, more like a middle 48, their songs tended to go on and on and on, and Dax's arm moved suddenly with the change. But though he bobbed and swayed to the rhythm, his fingers remained frozen, and it became apparent to Dreads that this was some ghastly pantomime show. More of the band joined along, a strum here, a drum hit there, and the casual observer might mistake their movements for life, at least until the smell hit. Many times had Dreads passed by the room and caught a whiff of pot or patchouli incense, but any lingering aroma had been absorbed by the fetid stench of decay that rose from the bodies in invisible waves. If the smell left any doubt, their slack faces would certainly settle it. Eyes open, mouths hanging agape, no sign of emotion or thought anywhere. There could be no doubt about it. The delirium tremens were dead. "'Jesus Christ!' Top gasped behind her. Dreads would have shared in his sentiment, but she was too busy trying to work out how this twisted calliope was running. The pulsating light gleamed off of thin wires that were attached to the players like puppet strings, pulling at limbs, left to right, up and down. The wire fed into eye-hole screws fastened on the ceiling and led back to a strange contraption that was fixed in the corner, behind Lenny the keyboardist. It was like a giant old-timey music box with a crank handle and everything. Some sick fuck had rigged this all up and set it to play just like an automated Disney attraction. The Country Bear's Good Time Jamboree from Hell. The demented puppet master had even chosen a live jam session of the Tremens to crank through the PA system, adding realism to the ghoulish tableau. The more Dreads looked at it, the more she feared she might crack and give up right there and then. Fuck that noise. Whoever, whatever this thing was, she would not lie down and let it make her its death puppet. She would not go out like delirium tremens. Navigating the corpse marionettes, Dreads bolted for the door, grateful to find it unlocked. Top followed, and the two of them stumbled out into the hallway just as the scissor man stuck his smiling, shiny, smooth face in through the guitar-bashed hole. "'What in God's name is that thing?' Top asked, struggling to keep his grip on sanity. "'Like I fucking know!' Dreads really wished he would shut up. She did not want to waste valuable breath trying to parse through what little logic there was in this brain-boiling scenario. They just needed to get the fuck out of there, and fast. When they came to the juncture that led to the front doors, Top naturally started in that direction, but Dreads grabbed him again by the arm, stopping him short. Not that way, she said between tortured breaths. Damn cigarettes. It's jammed shut, probably by that thing. Top sighed hopelessly. Sweet merciful Christ. The other exits are locked too, from the outside. Great, just great. Top was on the verge of tears, ready to break. That would not be helpful. Now what are we supposed to do? Down the hall, in the direction from which they had just fled, came a snipping sound, the snapping of great shears. The scissor man was coming, and Dreads was certain there would be no reasoning with him, no begging for a misspent life. Look, she said harshly to her guitarist, you do what you want, but I'm heading for the freight elevator. The verbal slap seemed to do its job, and Top pulled his shit together. He nodded in agreement with her plan, and they ran past the juncture and into the roundabout maze of halls that would eventually lead them to the elevator. 
If they doubled back towards their room, they would reach it sooner, but there was the small problem of a scissor-wielding maniac blocking their way. Not that the circuitous route was a guarantee. There was at least three cross hallways where the demonic freak could jump out at them, cutting them off at the pass before cutting them in half. But any chance, however small, was better than facing the hideous thing head-on. Through the labyrinth they ran, taking every twist and corner like mice racing for the cheese. Coming to each cross-hall juncture was an exercise in heart-pounding dread, but their luck held out and nothing came at them from out of the darkness. By the time they reached the freight elevator, dreads had reason to hope that they had shaken off their leering, well-tailored tormentor. But no sooner had they slammed the cage door shut when the snapping of scissors was heard, and the mannequin came loping towards them, its legs taking impossible strides. Not Top punched the green button that, on a normal night, would have sent the elevator down to the ground floor. But because they were trapped in a real-life waking nightmare, nothing happened. This is it, Dreads thought. We're fucked. There was a whir and a judder as the lift suddenly woke, likely stalled out from the earlier loss in power. Dreads and Top shared a grateful glance as the elevator started its shaky descent and watched as shiny, brass-buckled shoes ran at them on the slowly rising floor. Top had even managed a relieved smile when the blades shot down through the cage and speared him right between the neck and shoulder. Dreads had never heard a man scream quite the way Top did at that moment, high and shrill like a teenage girl. The scissor man's blades became wedged in the cage door, and for a second it seemed as though they would be trapped between floors. But rather than let the blades be ruined in the downward crush of the lift, the sadistic fucker withdrew the weapon, drawing a spark off the metal cage as the twin sabers retracted. Top collapsed to the floor and the scissor man watched, ever leering, as the lift sank beneath the floor and out of reach. Once they were out of the freak's sight, Dreads rushed over to get a look at Top's wound. It was deep and bleeding heavily, but it was not, by her limited estimation, fatal. I'm fine, he said, reading her concern. It's not that bad. Dreads tore loose a piece of her already ripped tights, exposing a shapely calf. It gave Top a feeble smile, and she wasn't about to deny a wounded man a little thrill. She wrapped the thin fabric over his skewered shoulder and under the arm twice, tying it into the most pathetic bandage either of them had ever seen. But it was better than nothing. The elevator clunked to a halt as they reached the ground level, and Dreads helped Top to his shaky feet. The ground floor, with its piles of machinery and shadowy clusters of God knows what, was just as unwelcoming as Dreads had imagined but whatever lurked down there was child's play compared to what was coming for them, so she opened the cage door and stepped out into the shadows. Top followed her, close enough to touch, and the two of them made a quick scan of the cavernous floor with the hope of placing the exits. I'm pretty sure the main doors are that way, Top said, pointing to the far end of the mill with a wince. Dreads didn't have the greatest sense of direction, and the clutter didn't help, but she was reasonably certain he was right. All that stood between them was a maze of textile equipment piled high to the ceiling, and likely several species of rat. And of course, soon, there would be the Scissor Man to contend with. They made for the far side, claiming ground like soldiers through a battlefield, always their eyes forward. The maddening disorder of the place made a straight shot impossible, and several times they had to double back to work around an island of blockage. 
They had just about zigzagged their way to the midway point when the tap-dancing clatter of hard soles on cement came after them, like some demented Fred and Ginger routine. Oh, God, Top gasped. It's still coming after us. Thank you, O Master of the Obvious. But it did beg the question, what exactly was it that was chasing them? Was this some nutjob in a suit, bent on terrifying his victims before the inevitable kill? Did she have any old boyfriends that she had burned and might now be out for revenge? Or some band they had wronged, club owner or manager? Or maybe this was some demon Weirdbeard had summoned with that disturbing poem he found. The poem so much like the one her grandmother used to recite. The great tall tailor and his nail-clipping, hair-trimming, child-torturing shears. Her stomach sank. What other explanation was there? That creepy fucking poem had summoned this tailor or whatever it was to dish out punishment to unruly children. And what children were more unruly than a rock band proclaiming themselves the filthy habits? Christ, their hair alone was enough to warrant the wrath of a demon obsessed with grooming. Clack, clack, clack. The sound of those shiny buckled shoes echoed through the mill as if summoned by her thoughts. The tailor was coming for them, coming to clip them clean with his shears, and he wouldn't be swayed from his mission by pleading a reason. Their only hope now was to escape the mill and pray that once outside, their fastidious pursuer would be robbed of his invisible strings and give up the chase. They had to bet on the assumption that it was only in this horrible place that he held any power. At last they came to the far end of the mill and two hearts broke in unison when they saw the massive pile of detritus that blocked off the doors. There was no getting over that pile, no digging through it before the tailor reached them. They were totally trapped. Clack, clack, clack. The buckled shoes were getting closer. Jesus Christ, what are we supposed to do now? Nottop exhaled hopelessly. Dreads could feel the fight leaking out of him like water through a cracked fish tank. But Dreads was not about to give up. Glancing around, she saw that most avenues were blocked by the overwhelming clutter, but off to their right, about a hundred yards back towards the rear, was a warm sliver of light. The light indicated the presence of a room, and a room could mean windows, exits. It wasn't a guarantee, and doubling back could put them directly in the path of the scissor man, but right now it was looking like the best option available. Over there, she said to Top, grabbing his hand. Come on! Top's panic made him amenable, so he didn't offer any resistance. They wove their way carefully around the piles, listening for the hard-soled presence of their tormentor. Twenty-odd yards from the room, the sound of clacking shoes came out of nowhere, and they froze with their backs up against a hulking tower of machinery. The clacking stopped suddenly, a hound catching on a scent, and for a pulse-hammering moment it seemed certain that they had been detected. But then the shoes went skipping on their way in the opposite direction, and Dreads and Top shared a silent sigh of relief. Finally, they reached the source of the light, and it was, as guessed, a room. But the moment they stepped inside, it became apparent that whatever this room was, it would offer them no sanctuary, and certainly no escape. This was the tailor's lair, a sewing room piled high with old looms, spinning wheels, and spindles of thread and propped up neatly like a bizarre arrangement of scarecrows were several, five by Dred's hasty count, mannequins. 
only in this light, who could say if they were mannequins or the bodies of the tailor's victims, dressed in finery and displayed to his twisted, unknowable satisfaction? One thing was for sure, Dreads had no intention of sticking around here long enough to find out. Still, there were sharp objects strewn about, knitting needles and such, that could possibly be used in self-defense. With every ghoulish revelation, it seemed less likely that there was a living being under the tailor's suit, but if there was, a knitting needle in the chest would handle him nicely. Dreads freed herself from Not Top's vice grip and went to an antique table where several of the pointy implements sat waiting to be used. Something rushed out of the shadows and Dreads froze, heart pounding like the kick drum in a thrash band. Then she realized that the encroaching figure was only herself, or rather her reflection in a dusty, full-length mirror, the two-sided kind that pivoted on a free-standing hinge. The image gazing back at her wore a mask of anxiety and fear so entrenched that Dreads could have sworn that permanent worry lines had been added to her face. Guess she'd have the tailor to thank if she didn't get carded anymore buying cigarettes. If she lived, that is. She gathered the needles into a tight bundle and looked around for anything else that might serve as a weapon. There were plenty of avenues to explore if they had the time to look, but the blank-faced watchfulness of those God-knows-what mannequins only made her desire to get out of there more urgent. In the corner was propped a broom, the kind storybook witches rode with the old-fashioned straw whisks. She grabbed it hastily and tossed it over to Top, who, despite his injured arm, caught it. What the hell am I supposed to do with this? Sweep him to death? Before Dreads could respond, a long shadow fell over Knot Top. He must have read the terrified look on her face because he craned his neck around like a condemned man sizing up the executioner's noose. The tailor loomed over him, ducking his lanky frame through the low-hanging doorway. As Knot Top backed away from the advancing horror, Dreads could already see his knees beginning to shake and buckle. The tailor lunged at Top with his scissors, and the guitarist screamed and swatted back with the broom. They exchanged strikes and blocks in a puppet show parody of a sword fight, the scissor man taking gleeful pleasure in Top's spirited defense, a cat toying with its prey. When he tired of the game, the tailor began to snip away at the straw whisks, whittling the broom down to a nub. Sensing the inevitable, Top hauled back and whacked the mannequin hard across the face with the broom handle, causing the plaster to splinter and crack. A piece of the scissor man's lower lip fell onto the floor, leaving his face in a lopsided half-leer, half-frown. And with this offense, the tailor was through playing around. He skewered Knot Top right through the throat, bringing the dance to a quick, brutal finish. Seeing her friend fall gave Dreads an adrenalized rush of courage, and she charged at the tailor with a knitting needle bundle. He regarded her with a bemused interest, or was it a trick of the light, withdrawing the blades from Top's body, allowing it to slide lifelessly to the floor. Dreads slammed the needles into the scissor man's chest, right above his breast pocket, but the fucker did not so much as flinch. She pulled the bundle out, but it wasn't blood that poured from the ragged hole in the mannequin's chest. It was sawdust. For fuck's sake, Dreads gasped as she stumbled back. The tailor looked down in the hole, and again the light played tricks on his face, changing his leer to a frown of disgust. Dreads watched in stunned fascination as the mannequin put down the shears, reached into a pocket, and produced a patch of fabric to put over the wound. 
Then the freak produced a needle and thread and with blinding, unnatural speed stitched himself up. The job was nearly finished by the time Dredd snapped out of her daze and ran. She hadn't even reached the elevators before she could tell they would be of no use. The controls had been damaged, hacked to pieces by the scissorman's shears. She doubled back into the labyrinth of textile equipment, scrambling off in a random direction, desperate to find any crawl space, nook, or bin in which she might hide. In all her life, she had never lived more in the moment than she was right now. Forget all the plans, ambitions, dreams of the future. All that mattered now was the simple act of staying alive. By the third dead end, Dreds concluded that if she was going to survive the night, she would have to find a way to turn the tables on her scissor-wielding tormentor. But how to stop a thing that didn't know pain and couldn't be injured? How do you kill something that never had life, at least not in any sense that logic could explain, to begin with? Frustrated, she kicked a looming tower of junk, and when it wobbled, unstable, she was struck with an idea. Maybe she didn't have to kill the thing. Maybe she could trap it for a while, long enough to find a way out of this miserable place. Once outside, she was certain that it all would be over, that there was no way that thing was going to come after her in broad daylight, in full view of the waking, rational world. The tailor was a nightmare, and nightmares only existed in the realms of darkness and shadow. Dreads truly believed that if she could make it outside, into the daylight, she would be free of the scissor man forever. Somewhere in the maze of debris, the clacking heels drew closer, honing in on her like a tap-dancing missile. Come and get me, Dreds defied as she squeezed into a gap behind the teetering junk tower in another smaller pile. I'm right here, you bastard. Clack, clack, clack. The shoes approached and skidded to a stop. By Dreds' estimation, they were standing directly on the other side of the tower, waiting for her to reveal herself with a movement or a sound. Oh, I'll give you a sound, all right. Bracing her back against the smaller pile, she planted her boots on the rusty barrel that anchored the junk tower and pushed with all the strength her compact little body could muster. The tower fell, crashing all around in a deafening clatter, a bashing symphony of metal. Dust that had collected for the better part of a century plumed from the wreckage like a volcanic cloud, blotting out everything with a swirl of gray filth. Dreads covered her mouth, holding her breath, desperate not to take the contaminated air into her lungs. As the dust began to settle, she scanned the area for signs of the killer, but all she could make out were vague, twisted shapes in the haze. Nothing moved, giving her reason to hope. She drew a gasp of stale air. The moat curtain descended, and there, standing beyond the pile, was the scissor man, shears still clutched in his grip. Dred's heart fell into her stomach and she nearly followed it to her knees, ready to beg or cry or try to reason with the giant, living marionette. But the tailor did not move. He just stood there, still as a stone, painted eyes looking warily down at the filthy pile of detritus that blocked his way. Somehow this angered Dred's the most, short-circuiting her terror. It wasn't enough for this devil's plaything to murder her. He had to make a toy of her as well. Not enough to take her band, take all that mattered to her. Now the fucker wanted to play games? What are you waiting for? She cried at the thing. Just do it already. Just kill me. In a show of defiance, she kicked at the pile, freeing a whole new cloud of dust onto the tailor. 
The mannequin reeled back in terror, dropped the shears, held up a hand to shield his face from the incoming dust. But it was too late. The fiend's smiling plaster visage was coated in filth, soiling the pristine pinkish flesh tone to a sickly greenish brown. Like a stuntman doing a fire gag, the tailor stumbled and thrashed about. It was as if the dirt was poison to the freak. Dreads was reminded of the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz and her weakness to water, only this was the exact opposite. Going with that theory, she scooped a handful of dirt up off the floor and threw the choking cloud into the mannequin's face. The tailor stumbled back into a pile of debris, snagging his once pristine jacket on a jagged hook of unidentified junk. Not waiting for the thing to free himself, Dreads charged, scooping more dirt off the floor as she ran. Eat shit, she hissed, throwing the scoopful into the tailor's already soiled face. The fiend thrashed and hitched with revulsion, making Dreads all too eager to do it again. So she did. And she did it some more. She threw so much filth at the freakish thing that the dust-laden air invaded her lungs and forced her over into a coughing fit. Looking down at the floor, she found that in her frenzy she had all but swept it clean. Through the settling dust, she kept her eye on the tailor. The nightmare man sat in the wreckage, coated in filth, clipped of whatever invisible strings gave him life. Dread stood there watching for any movement, any sign of reanimation. But the tailor did not move. A dry chuckle rose in her tortured throat. She had done it. She had beaten the fucker. Picking the giant scissors off of the floor, she rammed them into the mannequin's chest. Then she backed away, leaving them stuck there as sawdust poured out in a slow trickle. How do you like it, asshole? The tailor did not answer. The only thing that could make this moment sweeter was a smoke. Reaching into her jacket pocket, she found the soft pack there, crumpled next to a small pink lighter. Most of the cigarettes were broken, but sorting through them managed to tap one out that was only somewhat bent. Totally smokable. She popped the cancer stick into her mouth, lit the tip until it grew into a tiny fireball and dragged deep. Never in all her years as a smoker had a single cigarette ever tasted so good. She hadn't even thought of the sprinkler system until the fire alarm went off. Startled, she rose to her feet and laughed when she realized what she had done. The loss of her gear was the least of her worries at this point, but she still stamped out the butt, hoping a shower could be avoided. A sudden spatter of drops landed on her nappy head and she knew that it was too late. She was still laughing when the sprinklers, the only semi-modern fixtures in this museum of useless antiques, sprayed down water. Dreads gave herself over to the moment, allowing the indoor rainstorm to cleanse her. She felt the dust and filth wash from her body, taking with it the horror of the last few hours. Raising her arms, she looked towards the ceiling, as if to the heavens. Water streamed down her face, tears of joy, the cold shock of the shower restoring her soul. It was a rock-and-roll baptism. There was a scraping of metal, the movement of debris, and Dred spun around just in time to witness the scissor man rising from the junk pile. She watched with sinking dread as a long arm snaked around and pulled the shears free from a mannequin chest, spilling out sawdust with a dry squeak. The water had cleansed the tailor as well, freeing him from the binding spell of filth. 
face restored to a rosy pink sheen, eyes lit with a water-washed shine, moving with smooth, renewed purpose. All that was left to do now was to run. Dreads didn't even realize she had run into the sewing room. All semblance of reason had abandoned her as soon as the scissors had resumed their snippety snap. Some dim part of her hoped that she could barricade herself in the cluttered room and hold out until the light of day drove the demon away, but there was no sanctuary to be found among the spindles of thread and spinning wheels. Despair hitching in her throat, Dread stumbled towards the freestanding mirror, seeing the finality of defeat etched so permanently on her once bold and pretty face. There was a whistling sound behind her, a javelin tossed through the air, and something struck her back with such force that it propelled her into the mirror. Her head hit glass, cracking it, and she felt the cold length of the shears running through her insides. As she hung there, pinned to the mirror, Dreads watched her reflection in the spider-webbed cracks of the glass. Then came the shoes, that jaunty skipping, clickety-clickety-clack, and the leering tailor arrived for one final grooming. The last thing Dreads was aware of before she died was the snipping of small scissors and the soft pad of dreadlocks hitting the floor. And that was it, Shockhead said to the stunned, heavily mascarad faces of his bandmates. No bodies were ever found. The filthy habits literally disappeared off the face of the earth. They even left their gear behind and everything. Fauxhawk shivered behind his synth rig. Jesus, and this was their room? Shockhead nodded. He was really getting off on the effect that the story was having on the band. For a goth group, the dire needs were surprisingly easy to spook. Pussies. A blast of sound came from next door, and everyone, even Shockhead, jumped in their skin. The band that rehearsed there, Delirium Tremens, had supposedly been on tour for over a year. Guess they were back now. Man, did their music ever suck. The door slammed open and Half Shave stood there, a piece of yellowed paper clutched in his hand. Dudes, he said excitedly, the ground floor is totally sick. You gotta check out this crazy thing that I found. Half Shave closed the door behind him and went to the mic paper in hand. Content, narration, and performance, copyright 2015, Sebastian Bendix. 